Welcome to the Michigan Constitution Podcast, where the citizens of the Mitten State seek the pleasant peninsula between their state and federal identities through a deeper understanding of how Michigan's Constitution and its defining case law affects their everyday lives. Your host, Tony Snyder, is a licensed Michigan attorney with more than a decade of experience in private and government practice. Through this podcast, you'll better understand the unique characteristics of Michigan's supreme law and probably learn a few fun facts about federalism, too. And now, here's Tony. Welcome back to the 19th installment of the Michigan Constitution podcast. This time, we're going to talk about Article 1, Section 7 of the Michigan Constitution. Have you ever given any consideration to the idea of martial law breaking out in the state of Michigan? Of course not, because we have a land of laws and rules. So what happens when you have military forces, specifically the Michigan National Guard, acting as state police and sheriff deputies in the state of Michigan? What do you do when the governor orders the Michigan National Guard to respond to a perceived legal problem that the local law enforcement authorities are unable to handle? Those questions and more will be answered in this podcast. But first, your spoonful of legalese. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The purpose of this podcast is merely to teach you what's in the Michigan Constitution. Each podcast will review a different article section, we'll talk about what it means, and we'll review Michigan case law, which helps us to better understand the effects of those constitutional provisions. Here's what this podcast is not. It is not legal advice. It is not legal expertise. Although I am a licensed attorney in the state of Michigan, I make no warranties as to the veracity of the statements I make within this podcast. First of all, I don't practice constitutional law, I practice administrative law. Second, the laws change on a day-to-day basis, as does case law. What might be applicable the day I make a statement about the Michigan Constitution could very well be outdated the day I post the podcast. If you think you're going to become a Michigan Constitutional Scholar because of my podcast, you're sadly mistaken. You'd do better with a Ouija board and a Magic 8-Ball. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you need Michigan legal advice, you would be well served to contact the State Bar of Michigan and ask for their Lawyer Referral Service Program for a referral to an attorney who specializes in your legal matters. This time, we discuss Article 1, Section 7. But here's the deal. There is literally one case that has ever addressed this specific constitutional provision. And it was a case back in 1924. I've said time and time again on this podcast, I do not like to review case law from before our current 1963 constitution was ratified. However, this Article 1, Section 7 provision was in the previous Michigan constitutions as written, and it's the only case on record ever to address this provision. So, what is that provision that is rarely ever called into question, you ask? It reads as follows. The military shall be at all times and in all cases in strict subordination to the civil power. So what could possibly have been the fact pattern which would have triggered this constitutional provision? (laughs) Stick with me. This is a great story. But to answer the question directly, bootlegging. Even though the Michigan Supreme Court took up this case in 1924, the underlying activity took place in 1918. Now, a fun and quick little bit of Michigan history. The state of Michigan had actually implemented prohibition statewide in May of 1918. 
Now, let's put the timeline of overall prohibition together. Michigan prohibits alcohol in May 1918. Prohibition nationwide was ratified in January 1919 and became enforced in January 1920. So, depending on how you want to count the time, Michigan was about seven months ahead of the country in ratifying the notion of prohibiting booze and was 19 months dry before the rest of the country would catch up. So, at the time of our case at hand was happening, Michigan, but not Ohio, was a dry state. And the bootlegging, again, at least in this case, was happening between Toledo and Detroit. So here's what's going on. The Monroe County Sheriff was having a terrible time preventing folks from driving north out of Toledo into Monroe County on their way to Detroit to sell the hooch to thirsty Detroiters. Because to get to Wayne County where Detroit is located, you have to drive through Monroe County. Because of this traffic on the quote-unquote Dixie Highway, which connects Detroit to Toledo, the Monroe County Sheriff asked the Michigan governor for aid patrolling the highway in the county. The governor obliged by sending Michigan National Guardsmen to patrol the highway. The governor's executive order read as follows. The sheriff, prosecuting attorney, and chairman of the Board of Supervisors in Monroe, having stated in writing that the authorities of that county are unable to cope with the lawlessness and disorder arising from the importation of liquor into Michigan through Monroe County, the Michigan National Guard is directed to take a squadron of men and proceed to Monroe County for duty. Such steps will be taken as will to protect the highways from lawless and viciously inclined drivers of automobiles. The laws of the state will be enforced, and such assistance given to the sheriff of the county of Monroe as he requires in putting a stop to conditions which not only menace the people of Michigan, but the highway transportation. A detachment of Michigan Guardsmen was sent to Monroe County on or about February of 1919. But the National Guardsmen were having trouble stopping travelers on the highway, and it was brought to the attention of the governor. Therefore, the governor verbally authorized the placing of a log across the highway. The log was about 12 feet long, 8 inches in diameter at the small end, and 10 inches wide at the large end. Its purpose was to be pulled across the roadway in case drivers of automobiles refused to stop upon a warning signal given by the guardsmen. Now, you know what's about to happen, but don't get ahead of me. Let me tell you another story. We're now in Toledo in February of 1919. Plaintiff in our lawsuit is a taxicab driver. It's midnight on February 6th, and he's called to a saloon. When he arrives... A fellow gets into the cab with a bunch of large boxes, and the taxi driver is offered the equivalent of $525 in 2020 money to drive the 55 miles from Toledo to Detroit. For obvious reasons, the taxi driver agrees. On the way to Detroit, they have to drive through Monroe County. It's February in the Midwest, so that means it's snowing. The cab driver has his low beams on to be able to see the road better while driving and says he suddenly sees two men jump out from alongside the roadway and began shooting at him. The taxi driver says that he never sees that it's the National Guardsman. To the contrary, he testified at trial he thought it was an attempted holdup job on the highway. 
For those reasons, he did not stop. Some 200 yards later, he runs his car into the giant log laying in the middle of the highway, causing him to subsequently drive the car off the road and into a ditch. Now, at trial, the National Guardsmen claimed it was 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and they see this car coming up on them and said they jumped into the roadway with their signals attempting to get the cab driver to pull over to the side of the road to inspect his car. When the cab failed to stop, the police officer shot a flare into the air to notify two more guardsmen about 100 yards up ahead that there was a car coming to them who did not stop at the initial stopping point. These next two soldiers then came forward with their own flashlights and red lanterns to signal the cab to stop, but again, the cab did not. Therefore, it was the last two guardsmen who had pulled the log into the middle of the road and caused the cab to crash. When they investigated the interior of the cab, they discovered bottles of illegal booze in the boxes in the back seat. The jury awarded the cab driver $30,000 in today's money for the injuries to himself and his vehicle. Our Michigan Supreme Court gives a little commentary by writing, and I'm going to quote here, the jury must have been impressed with plaintiff's story of his connection with the affair in order to have rendered the verdict given. I can't tell if they thought the jury was hoodwinked by the plaintiff, that maybe he legitimately didn't know what he was delivering at the time, or uh, if the point of the Supremes was simply to say that the money the jury awarded was a large sum of money in 1919. Again, that's $30,000 in today's money. It was only $2,000 that was awarded to him in 1919. But the defendant National Guardsmen, who were sued by the taxi driver, came to the Michigan Supreme Court with a defense. There was a public act, which they believed was on point with their actions. Whenever the Michigan National Guard shall be ordered into actual service, the commanding officer shall be subject to the general direction of the sheriff or other civil officer who shall require his aid. But in the execution of movements and the means to be employed to accomplish the purpose for which said military force shall be called into service, the same shall be under the orders of the commander-in-chief and the military officers immediately in command thereof. Whenever in such service, troops shall always be amenable to the civil authorities as represented by the governor, and shall be privileged from prosecution by the civil authorities for any acts or offenses alleged to have been committed while on such service. That makes sense, right? If you're going to be instructed by the governor of the state of Michigan, you would expect that the National Guardsmen would be protected from lawsuits based upon their action. The problem for the guardsmen was that the Michigan Supremes found the law to be unconstitutional. The question which was asked of the Michigan Supreme Court justices was whether any and all acts and offenses committed by the troops regarding an injury to or damages against citizens is outside the fair and equitable resolutions of the court. Now, because I only have this one case to highlight the crux of Article 1, uh, Section 7's provisions, I'm going to get lost in the weeds of the Supreme Court opinion because they spend pages and pages and pages discussing the difference between military law and martial law. They ultimately find that neither military nor martial law are applicable in this instant case regarding the highway, the log, or the Michigan National Guardsmen. To begin, 
they inform us that military law is enacted for the organization, government, and discipline of troops, and therefore only applies to citizens in the military. They note that citizens are not governed at all by military law. The citizen is either governed by civil authority, so that's your traditional police, judges, attorneys, courtroom and trial, you know, et cetera, et cetera, or the citizens are governed by martial law. When proper civil authority requests military aid, and while soldiers are subject to military law, these facts do not take away from the citizens' rights and remedies for injuries arising through the wrongful exercise of military power. The justices note that military aid to civil authorities must act within and in accordance with the civil law. So the court is already starting to put into practice their ruling that the military is subordinate to civil laws. This is the basis upon which the court finds the law unconstitutional. No martial law has been declared in this matter. All the county sheriff wanted was assistance in controlling the amount of illegal alcohol coming into a state, you know, that being Michigan, which had prohibited the happy juice to its residents. The sheriff needed help enforcing the state laws of Michigan, specifically the prohibition of alcohol in our state. The justices go on to say that there can be no martial law in times of peace where civil authority is in effect. That's what's going on here. If the taxi cab driver would have stopped, the alcohol in his backseat would have been discovered, and he would have had a jury trial to determine his guilt or innocence. These are all attributes of civil authority during a time of peace. But this, the Michigan Supreme Court justices ruled, is the reason why our Michigan Constitution declares that civil authority shall be paramount to military power. They opined that taking all action of the military and placing those actions beyond the reach of the court system violates both the text of Article 1, Section 7, and the spirit of its intent. Remember, the defendant guardsmen are arguing that they were taking orders from the governor. And the governor is saying he was allowed to protect the National Guardsmen from being sued for the governor's directives because the legislature said so. But the Michigan Supreme Court said, Article 1, Section 7 is clear. The military shall be at all times and in all cases in strict subordination to the civil power. Yes, the act being relied upon does prevent interference with the actions taken by the troops when carrying out a governor's orders to aid civil authorities like a county sheriff. But the court is very serious by saying the act does not and cannot in any sense prevent citizens who suffer a wrong from being allowed to go to court for a solution. They go on to say, no man within the state of Michigan should be required to sue the governor so that they can ultimately get the solution they seek. More so, the Supremes held that no legislative act can confer power to the governor to render the military immune from lawsuits for wrongs done to citizens in the time of peace. When the troops are assisting local law enforcement, they too must observe and obey the laws. But what about the idea that the Michigan National Guardsmen were simply following orders? Shouldn't that provide them some civil immunity? No, 
the Michigan Supreme Court said. They said there's no such thing as qualified martial law immunity. As a matter of fact, uh, and let me quote directly from the court's opinion, they said, There is no middle ground or twilight zone between government by law and martial rule. Martial law cannot arise unless and until there is a suspension of civil power. Martial law is not compatible with the spirit of our institutions, for it rules supreme in the territory where employed and is an abandonment of constitutional forms. Its use is a confession of weakness rather than an exhibition of vigor of government because it is a deviation from the course of law and an abandonment of the coercive power delegated by law as an aid to civil authorities. Martial law, or rather martial rule, for there is no law at all, is a rule of paramount necessity, never existing in company with civil law or authority. For if the civil law of the sovereignty is in force and civil authorities are acting thereunder, and recognized by the executive, there can exist no such thing as martial law in force, in whole or in part, in the same field of operation. Wow, that's powerful. The Michigan Supreme Court found that civil power is supreme when in effect and military power is subordinate to civil authority. They note that there is no such thing as military power when the civil power is still functioning. Again, we're talking about our traditional governmental operations. You get formally charged with a crime, you get an attorney to represent your legal interests, and you can have a jury of your peers, hear witnesses, called on your behalf. That's what civil authority means. If local law enforcement needs troops brought in to help uphold the state of Michigan's laws, the troops absolutely can be brought in to assist. But that aid is to support the local law enforcement. They cannot and do not exercise their own independent military power. The Michigan justices continued their ruling by stating local law enforcement shall not be subordinate to the Michigan National Guard. They said the military cannot in any sense of the idea take the initiative or assume to do anything independent of the local authorities. Our government exists with civil courtrooms, not military forces. The military in active service and in every emergency that arises in such service is subordinate to the civil power. The soldier and the citizen both stand alike under the law. Both must obey its commands and be obedient to its mandates. All right, let's bring this plane in for landing. What do you say? Our state Supreme Court held that when the governor responded to the request of the county sheriff, the governor acted under powers of the Michigan Constitution to send aid to the sheriff. This aid, however, could not and did not substitute out the authority of the civil officers of the county because under the Michigan Constitution, the military is subordinate to the local law enforcement. The justices said that the emphatic provision of Article 1, Section 7 of the Michigan Constitution, the military shall be at all times and in all cases in strict subordination to the civil power. It is not an empty phrase. To the contrary, the Supremes found it to be wisdom of the ages expressed in a succinct mandate. Any transgression of this fundamental law by military officers renders them liable to respond to damages for injury done no matter how high up the command to act may be traced. But 
And this just galls me. They completely exonerate the governor from any wrongdoing. They said, We do not say that the acts complained of here were authorized by the governor, for we entertain the opinion that the officials went beyond the intention of the governor, either by reason of misunderstanding of the extent of their authority, or in their zeal to get results. No sheriff would undertake to hold up travel over the public highway and halt travelers for inquisition and search, an exact peril of life and limb for refusal to submit. No such power is invested in that office. If the power cannot be found in the office of sheriff, it certainly cannot exist in any aid called to for the sheriff's assistance. That just boggles my mind. Remember, when I was laying out our fact pattern, we learned that the governor gave verbal instruction to the captain in charge of the detachment of the National Guardsmen to use the log in the road. But it is what it is. I'm not going to lose my cool over a 96-year-old case showing political favoritism. The justices believed that the purpose of the log was to stop people like our plaintiff taxicab driver. The oversized log involved and was intended to cause peril to life and limb, if not seen or heeded upon, of the troop's signal to stop. The court believed the defendant guardsmen were in no position to argue that if the taxi driver would have driven around the log, he simply wouldn't have been hurt. The court believed what happened, hitting the log and driving off the road, was exactly what the defendants planned and wanted to happen in case of disobedience to stop for the signals. Therefore, this court declared, the defendant's liability rests upon a calculated result of their willful and wanton act. They rule that the use of the log to cause automobiles to go off the road and into a ditch was an unlawful and wanton disregard of human life, open to no justification or defense. For that reason, the Michigan National Guardsmen who were sued for personal injury to the taxi driver and damage to his car were found liable by the justices of the Michigan Supreme Court. Because this log action would have gotten a citizen sued by the taxi driver, the Guardsmen are no more protected merely because of their uniform. In a time of peace, where civil law still presides, the military will be subordinate to not greater than the rule of law. And that's going to do it for episode number 19 of the Michigan Constitution podcast. Please reach out to me. I'm at Tony Snyder on Twitter. The Michigan Constitution podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not offer legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. This podcast is hosted by Tony Snyder. For more information, visit TonySnyder.com, send an email to podcast at TonySnyder.com, or follow Tony on Twitter at Tony Snyder. Catch new episodes on the 1st and 15th of each month. Thanks for listening.